So if this is uh, your first uh, Sunday with us, what we're doing right now is we're working through the Gospel of John, excuse me, the Gospel of Mark. Those are two very different books. And I know that. Those are two very different books. <laughs> and so we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark during these summer months. And uh, we're specifically looking at uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. And so as we're looking at Jesus' ministry, we're looking at what it means for us to be his followers, to be his disciples. And so the entire book of, of Mark is really structured around these two things. It's structured around the cross of Jesus, how Jesus came to suffer for his people, but also the crown of Jesus, how Jesus came as the king. And so our text today is Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to uh, 45. And as we're looking at this text, I just want to point out that uh, this is a miracle, and miracles are, are oft, often, uh, when, when people read scripture, when people read the gospels, uh, one of the reasons why people reject Christianity is because there's this belief in, in people's minds that miracles are impossible. So if, if this is fiction, that's the conclusion that belief leads people to conclude when they are reading the Gospels. And so I just want to point out a few things first, just about what miracles are, their purposes, and, and, and something else about them. Because as Jesus begun his public ministry in Mark 1, he's teaching the kingdom of God. He says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And Mark then goes on and immediately focuses on uh, several miracles. One where Jesus uh, casts out a demon uh, from a man. Another is where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then the third is the one we're looking at today where Jesus heals a leper. And these miracles are pictures of the kingdom of God. The miracles are a picture of the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is that they are a picture, a window, a preview of what Jesus' reign is like. Where it, we, we look when, at where Jesus casts out a demon from a demon-possessed man, we see that Jesus frees us from our, our spiritual slavery, our spiritual captivity to sin. And then he goes on and we see how Jesus is is healing and removing physical illness and disease from our world. That's what it, life is like when Jesus will fully reign um, one day. And so when we come to look at these miracles, like that, that we need to understand their purpose in that way. But in the grand scheme of things, that miracles are actually what one would expect with the central premise of the Christian faith where God loves this world, where God created this world and is active in this world. When we have that understanding, we would expect the extraordinary to happen. We would expect these miraculous things to occur. And so let's consider what this miracle of where Jesus cleans a leper, let's consider what this means for our life. So this is Mark 1, verses 40 to 45. I am reading from the ESV. You can follow along in your worship guides or on the walls beside me. Let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. And a leper came to him, being Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, 
he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your blessing now as we consider your word. May your spirit work in our hearts that we would see what, what it means for us to follow you, to be your disciples, to be your children today. And so, Father, we ask that you would meet us in our um, doubt, in our distractedness, in our hurriedness. Father, help us to see and to hear your word for our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You have probably heard of Typhoid Mary. And Typhoid Mary, her real name was Mary Milan, and she was a, an Irish-born cook in the 19th century who emigrated here to the United States. And she had this a, a form of bacteria, uh, this form of salmonella, and which causes typhoid fever. But she had this. She was a carrier carrier for it, but she was asymptomatic, which means that she didn't show any of the symptoms of having typhoid fever. She carried the germs, but she did not get sick. And so as a cook, she is preparing food for these families that she worked for. And so at one point, as uh, the people realized that there's more and more people getting sick by typhoid, typhoid fever, uh, an investigator comes and investigates where is this coming from? And all, the, as these families were interviewed, of, as these seven families were interviewed, it came about that all, pretty much the person at the center of these outbreaks was Typhoid Mary. And so she was then put into quarantine for about uh, two and a half years, and she was released on the condition that she, as she would be released, she could never work again as a cook. And so she, she accepted those terms. She got a job uh, wa washing people's laundry and being a laundress, but she changed her name because that, work, that job didn't pay as well. And so she got another job again as a cook, and she was discovered this time. She was discovered and found out it was a second time, and she was put into quarantine for the remainder of her life. She was put into quarantine by force for a time of 23 years. And so she went into quarantine for the rest of her life in relative isolation. People could come visit her, but even as you would come visit her, people would give you instructions. Do not let her even give you water because she may give you typhoid as well. And so as we look at this text, it's important for us to understand something about lepers themselves. Because lepers were the typhoid Marys of their day. They are driven into isolation due to their disease. And so one such man, a leper, comes to Jesus and they, he says to him, If you can, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. And so this is where we learn something truly awesome, truly incredible about what it means for us to follow Jesus Christ. We, what we learn is this, is that when we follow Jesus, 
He not only rescues us, he restores us into community. Not, not only does Jesus rescues us, he restores us into community. That's the entire big idea that I want us to think about today. That as we follow Jesus, he not only rescues us, he restores us into community. And just to give some context for this passage that we're, we're looking at, because, and the context is this. Last week, if you were with us, we saw Jesus come to Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he says, hey, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus has come to these four men and said, I want you to become my followers. And immediately, Mark gives us a picture of what it means for us to follow Jesus. And the picture is this. As Jesus' followers, these men, their lives are really changed. They, their lives are reoriented to help people, to serve people, to care for people. Their lives are reoriented to be around the poor, the demon-possessed, the sick, and their mother-in-laws. Let's not miss that. Jesus' second miracle in Mark is for Peter's mother-in-law. That's a wonderful j joke right there. And, and so, but my point is, is that at one point we see all the sick and the demon-possessed coming to Jesus from around the society. And Jesus is, he goes off into the wilderness. And as he, he's going out there first thing in the morning, and then Peter comes to him and is like, hey, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, I'm, let's go to the next town, for that is why I, I have come. And Jesus goes to the next town, and again, he is being surrounded by sick people. And so the picture is this, is that when Jesus invites us to be his disciples, when Jesus invites us to be his followers, the school of discipleship is our, our everyday lives. Every single day of our lives is the, is the school of discipleship. And so just imagine what it would mean for us to follow Jesus as Peter or Andrew or James and, and John. As we're following him quite literally or physically, we're seeing Jesus meet people in the tragedy of lives. We're, see, we're seeing Jesus meet people in their sickness and their ailments. And the, this entire chapter is a picture of the type of life that Jesus calls us to step into. That is the entire context and really the significance of these three miracles. And so as we come to this text today, the first point I want us to really think about is really the point of isolation. Isolation. And we start here because Jesus, the point is Jesus rescues us from something. And that something is sin. Jesus rescues us from sin. And sin is this human propensity to break things. And this is where uh, isolation comes in. Because we are now, because of sin, we are inclined. We restructure, we reorient our lives that, and have this... We, we restructure our lives so that we are at the center of our lives. So everything in our lives is bent towards ourselves. And so what ends up happening because of our self-centeredness, because of our sin, one of the consequences is isolation. Sin isolates us from God and sin isolates us from one another. 
theologically, the word that you find over and over in Scripture is alienation. That we are alienated from God and one another. And so sin, just to be clear, is, it, sin is what drives us from God and drives us from one another. My friend Mike Kanjin, he puts it this way in his book, that sin has made us into an isolated humanity. Sin has made us into an isolated humanity. And we know this, yes, due in part to God's word, but we also know this by our, our, our own lived experience. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, he wrote this incredible book on community entitled Life Together. He writes this, Sin demands to have a man by himself. Sin withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. The more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. See, sin, whether it be lies or lust, is a spiritual sickness Sin is a spiritual sickness. And as we read about in our assurance of forgiveness, Jesus comes to rescue us from our spiritual sickness. And, and Bonhoeffer's point is that sin thrives in secrecy, which is why sin isolates us from one another. So just consider pride, where you think you are better than others. If you really believe you are better than others, where Others are beneath you where you are their superior for whatever reason it may be, whether because maybe because of life or work or whatever else it may be. If you truly are look down on others, then you, you cannot be their equal. You cannot be their brother or sister in Christ. Pride demands, actually, that for you to ignore them when they call you out on things. Or consider lust, where you see others as an object for your own personal gratification. If people are objects, then you are robbing them of their honor and dignity as God's image bearers. And if they are, again, objects and not people, then who cares what they say? So right here is, I'm pointing out that our sin, whether it be pride, lust, or anything else, actually separates us and isolates us from both God and one another. And so when we come to this text, as we see this leper come to Jesus, leprosy is a physical disease, but it's more than just a physical disease. Yes, you got sick, but you did not just get sick. If you had leprosy, you became a pariah. You became a social outcast. If you were a leper, you felt it at every level of your being. Physically, being a leper meant that your body was falling apart, that you wouldn't feel things as you, if you stepped on a hard rock or perhaps or other things as well. It was, leprosy was literally when your disease would eat your nerves and skin, but it was also contagious. And so since leprosy is contagious, you were also cut off from your community. You became a social outcast. You were not allowed to live at your home. You were not allowed to see your friends. You were not even allowed to show up to the tabernacle or the temple to worship God. So in other words, you, you were not allowed to enter any place 
of community or you were not allowed to enter a town. You were not allowed to enter a village, let alone a city. And this is actually described in great detail in Leviticus 13. And so as we look at this man, his sickness drove him into isolation. And it's important to point something else out about this man. His sickness were circumstances beyond his control. These circumstances made these circumstances beyond his control made him an outcast. Can you relate to that? He was isolated. He felt left out and it had and he had no control over that. Can you relate? Perhaps you, you long for marriage, but you're not dating. Perhaps you long for a child, but you have not conceived. Perhaps you feel like a failure for one reason or another. And these, all of these alone can be sources of just shame. And they're, all of them are outside of our control. None of these is actually due to our own personal sin whatsoever. They are due to circumstances beyond our control. Yet they are incredibly powerful Forces that can be sources of shame in our lives. And shame is this disquieting, vague sense that we feel that there's something deeply wrong with us. That we are not enough. And shame keeps us preoccupied with ourselves. It tells us that we need to fix ourselves before we can serve others. But that's not the way of Jesus, nor is that the way and the life of the church. And so as we look at this man, as we see him isolated, in, in every way, every aspect of, of his life, he is isolated and he is cut off from God, from people. How in the world does he find healing in his life? He comes to Jesus and he says, if you can, you can make me clean. And this is our second point where we think about contact. The leper displays faith in coming in Jesus. He's, he's overcoming all the shame in his life. He's overcoming the fact that he's an outcast. He's coming to Jesus and he says, if you can, you can make me clean. And, and the, he knows, this man knows he needs cleaning. He needs healing. He needs salvation. So he comes to Jesus and he, he comes to Jesus with faith. But there's something else that goes on in, within the Old Testament uh, laws when it comes to being clean and unclean, these cleansing rituals and whatnot. And what, in Numbers, we find this, that in Numbers chapter 5, we see that if an unclean man would touch an, a, a clean person, then that clean person would become unclean. And, that, and so, like, but he, so here, Jesus actually does the unthinkable. As this man comes to him, what does Jesus do? In verse 41, he is moved with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Right there is an incredible gift. Jesus touches him. And writer, pastor, professor Zach Eswine in his book, Sensing Jesus, he writes about the wonderful gift of touch. And, and this is what he, write, he writes in his book. And it's a little lengthy. When, he writes, when I was 28... In my second year of, my, of being a pastor, I began leading a weekly Wednesday morning Bible study at the local assisted living facility for the elderly. After the, stu the study and the song, I stood up from playing the piano, and the eyes of one elderly woman glistened with tears. She walked toward me. She kissed my cheek in the way that those older women do. And she thanked me. 
And she was 50 years older than I was, and so I kissed her cheek in return. And this was their custom, not mine. It made me uncomfortable, but I gave her a hug, and I took a moment to pray with her, and she gave thanks to God. I thought nothing more of it. And then the following Wednesday came, and I gave the study. We played some music, and I stood up from the piano, and I noticed a line of men and women immediately forming. And that's the line. He goes on to note that in these these Elder, elderly people, they are in this season of life where they, there is a famine of touch as if dwelling in the desert years of their life. These men and women formed in line because of a safe and brotherly hug was a rare gem. A handshake, a hug, a presence, a kiss on the cheek, a prayer. These are acts that families show one another over and over and over again. And so th- this is a these acts these of family touch is a treasured commodity to take advantage of while it lasted. And so as, as we just point this out, Jesus is coming to this man who is isolated. He hasn't been able to see his friends or his family for years. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is actually he touches him. He touches him and shows him that he can be clean. Jesus says to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. But the way that he was healed and cleaned is by Jesus coming in contact with a sinner, with an unclean man. And what we see right here is an incredible thing. That in the light of the, the entire law of the Old Testament, Jesus is now unclean. That's incredible. Jesus touches this man and and actually becomes unclean himself. Jesus touches this man and and becomes a social pariah. What I'm pointing out is that Jesus willingly absorbs our uncleanness. He willingly takes on our sin and our shame, but he does it without becoming a sinner himself. He does not become, he does not violate any law uh, of God whatsoever. Jesus takes on our sin and our guilt and our shame, and that's the type of king that we have. That is the type of redeemer that we have. And this is wonderful news, that we have a king who is willing to come and get dirty in our lives to make us clean. And we often think to ourselves that if people really knew my thoughts, then they would not love me. If people really knew what I was thinking, then they would not be my friends. Friends, Jesus does know your thoughts. He knows everything that you have ever thought. He knows everything that you have done. He even knows what you're going to do, yet he loves you. He knows everything you think, everything you feel, and the amazing news is that he loves you. And you are significant and precious to him. One writer Said, wrote this, that there are no little people. And that's, an inc- that's incredibly important because there are no little people. You are not little. You are not invisible. You are not insignificant or irrelevant to, to Jesus. Jesus sees you. And you matter to him and you mean everything to him. That is what we see here in this text where this man who has been isolated for his entire life, he has been cut off from his family and his community, Jesus comes to him and heals him and cleans him because, and by, because Jesus comes in contact with him. 
So what does this mean for our lives today? What does this mean for our lives today? The big picture is that Jesus rescues us so that we can live within community. Jesus rescued you from sin. He rescued you from death. He rescued you from shame. And so as Jesus rescued you, he truly liberated you from being enslaved to sin. But he liberated you from being enslaved to guilt and shame. And so when Jesus did that, he liberated you so that you could live within community. And so here are a few examples of what that can look like, what that could mean for your life today. That when you confess to your friends, that you confess to your friends and your spouse that you struggle with sexual sin and pornography. It could look like where, where you courageously overcome various stigmas when it comes to mental illness and you share about uh, your life within, with your community group. It's when you look at your life and you see that you struggle with pride, where you struggle with other sin, and so you confess that to other people. That's what this text means, is that we are rescued and healed by Jesus, and so we are now restored to live within community. And so when we do this as individuals, when we do this together as a community, as a church, then we actually embody the reconciliation that Jesus demonstrates for us. People are no longer your enemy. That's incredible. People are no longer your enemy. People are no longer people to compete with, to, or to outperform. Instead, people are now friends and family, brothers and sisters to, to cheer on for and to carry their burdens. And so the church is actually for all people, religious or skeptic or seeker alike. The church is for all people to follow Jesus together. That's how God designed the church, where God designed the church to be a family where we are known and where we are loved. So if you want to grow and to experience the life that Jesus offers you, then you have to come out of the isolating shadows of your life and your sin and live within community. And when we do that, we see something truly tremendous and awesome where we actually see a holistic salvation that Jesus offers us. That is the picture of this text for us, that Jesus does more for us than simply save us from our sins. Jesus actually restores us into community as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here. And we ask that in coming uh, days and weeks that your, your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our life, that we would come to see more fully what it means that you are our Savior, that you are our rescuer, but you have also restored us into community. So, Father, we ask that you would re reveal how that is the case more clearly to us in coming days and weeks ahead. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.